Philip Yancey, in his wonderful book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells the sad but true tale of a woman who had gone for counseling. She had found herself homeless, destitute, in desperate need, and she had sold herself into prostitution. But the story gets worse than that. She had also sold her daughter into prostitution. Now she had come to a counselor for help. She wanted to turn away from that old life and turn over a new leaf and lead a life that is holy and respectable. And the counselor during the session asked her a question, have you ever thought about joining a church? She said to the counselor, why in the world would I want to do that? I already feel badly enough about myself. Why would I want to go to church and be preached at? Christians would only make me feel worse. Think about the sadness of that statement. Christians would only make me feel worse. Many unbelievers in the world see our towering steeples and clergy dressed in their fine white robes, and sometimes they'll turn on the TV set and hear a a preacher preaching the law against sinners and the unrighteous. Friends, may that never be true of St. Paul's Anglican Church. May we always be a church that is about people who are authentic and transparent and willing to admit that we are all sinners in need of God's grace. May the unbelieving world see that we are committed to renewal of life, to life that is changed by God's grace and love. In other words, may they see this church as a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints, a hospital for sinners. And that's what Jesus is addressing today, that kind of legalism that starves the soul, that kills our joy, that That kind of legalism that was embraced by the Pharisees of Jesus' day. So if you want to look with me today, Matthew chapter 21. In your pew Bibles, it's uh, page number 1050. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. It's a short little parable that Jesus tells us today, and it's about two sons. About two sons. And what Jesus is doing is telling this parable against the religious elite of his day. He's already come into Jerusalem. He's already cleansed the temple in righteous anger. And now he's ready to preach against this corrupt legalism of the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the temple elders. Look at verse 28. What does he say? What do you think? A man had two sons and went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. I I don't know what the deal was with this kid. Maybe he was just a teenager, kind of going through those rebellious years. Maybe he was downright lazy. Maybe he wanted to sleep in. Maybe it was a Saturday morning. We don't know what's going on, but his reply is absolutely rude to his father. Look at verse 29. He answered, I will not. Totally rejected the father. Totally brought shame to the father. Totally disrespected his father. I will not. Then Jesus says, but the boy sometime afterward changed his mind, and he went into the vineyard to work. That phrase, changed his mind, is in Greek, metanoia. The word is, he repented. He had a change of heart and mind. The kid comes to his senses. He he overcomes his bad attitude, and out of love for the father, goes and does the father's will. But look at the second son in verse 30. 
And the father, he went to the other son and said the exact same thing, Jesus says. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. The second son, most scholars agree, is the older son. I'm the older son. I am the responsible one. I'm the one who wants to look good in daddy's eyes. I'm the one who pays respect and honor. Yes, sir, sir, sir. Just like this kid. But he only honors his father with his lips in order to receive the praise of his father, not with his life. Does that sound familiar? Jesus in chapter 15 of Matthew's gospel said to those same Pharisees, you hypocrites, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus cares about our heart, our heart. The vineyard, of course, belongs to God. As Father John preached about last week, God created the vineyard, God watches over the vineyard, God employs the servants in the vineyard. But look at what Jesus says in verse 31. He stings his audience. He says, which of these two sons did the will of my father? The Pharisees, the temple elders, the chief priests, they're finally backed into a corner. They've got to finally admit it was the first son, the disobedient one, the one who was rude, the one who did not show respect and honor to the father in the first place. That is the son who is accepted by the father. That is the son who had a change of heart, who repented and was approved of by the father. That first son, he was like the prostitute that I began the sermon with. He's that person who's made a royal mess of his life. He's the one who wanted a new life, earnestly sought a change of life through grace and mercy and love. That woman who is the prostitute, who said no to the original goodness of God and holiness of God in her life, who wanted to seek a changed heart, a new life. It was that second son, though, that was the religious elite, the Pharisees, the temple elders, and the chief priests. Now look at Jesus' punchline in verse 31. He begins with the word truly. Now that word in Greek is amen, amen. Now that word amen is not able to be translated into English. There's no English equivalent for amen. The old King James would say, verily, verily, I say unto thee. You know King James English. But it means something like this. What I'm about to say, Jesus is saying, is the God's honest truth. The next words out of my mouth are of utmost importance. The next thing I'm about to say is a truth bomb on your head. And what's the truth bomb? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, I'm sure that you could have heard a pin drop on that day. Tax collectors and prostitutes? Now, you know what a prostitute is, and we want to keep this sermon PG. Um, but let me tell you what a tax collector was. As despicable as the job of a prostitute was in Jesus' culture, the job for a man as a tax collector was equally despicable. They were cheaters. They were swindlers. They were Jews who worked for Rome to create this, this tax nest egg for Rome to accomplish their goals in the world. But not only were they taxing people for Rome, they were skimming off the top huge, enormous amounts of wealth for themselves. They were cheating their own people. You could have heard a pin drop 
when Jesus says, tax collectors and prostitutes are getting in the kingdom before you. So why is Jesus so hard on these religious elites today? What point had the tax collectors and sinners often seen in the gospel, but the religious elite had missed? Here's the key to the passage. The first son said no, and then he had a change of heart. That change of heart word is metanoia, repentance. Look at verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, that's John the baptizer, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed John. And even when you saw it and heard the gospel, you did not afterward change your minds, metanoia, repentance, and believe him. Remember John the baptizer was out there in the wilderness preaching a, 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 a gospel of repentance. He was baptizing people in the river Jordan that they may have a past life of sin washed away and that they may now recommit themselves to a new life of grace in obedience to God. Just like the first son, right? No, I'll not go. Disobedience. But then he had a change of heart. Yes, I'll go and work in your vineyard. There's an echo of that in Luke chapter 18. Two men come to the temple to pray and to worship God like we're doing this morning. One man was a Pharisee, and he stood by himself that morning, self-righteously in his tone. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, those extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, Corey, up here. <laughs> I fast twice a week, and I give all that I can to God. But Jesus said, there's another guy, the tax collector, who was there. He stood far off and lifted up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that man went back to his house after church justified rather than the other. The one who repented, who repented, the one who had a change of heart, the one who cried out for mercy, the one who wanted to turn over a new life, Leaf and leave his old life behind. That word repent, metanoia. It's a strange word, I know, uh, but here's the deal. Here's what repentance means. Suppose you are young and have young children. You want to go down to Orlando, Florida. You want to go to Disney World. You pack up the minivan or whatever you young people drive nowadays. Uh, we used to have a minivan. We're blessed when the DVDs came out and those things. So, so you, you're going to Orlando and, and you get on the interstate and you're going in the wrong direction. And your wife's pulling on you. I told you, yeah, that's the wrong on ramp. You got on the wrong direction and you're prideful and you say, well, you know, I think we're going in the right direction. And you don't want to admit that she's right and you're wrong. But at some point, you got to humble yourself, right? you got to admit that your wife is right and you're wrong. And you got to turn the car around at the next off-ramp. you got to get on the right way and go south as opposed to north. Because here's the deal. You're not going to get to Orlando going in the wrong direction. As long as you're plowing north, you can't get to your destination. Repentance is humbling yourself enough to turn the car around and start to head back in God's direction. Do you know much about these Pharisees? They were called the separated ones, the Kassadim, the ones who were loved by God. And they were so separated that they thought themselves to be in no need of repentance. 
And isn't that what Jesus is talking about today? That second son who said, oh, I'll go, I'll go. But they did not repent. And they did not draw their hearts close to God. Pharisees, they love their long robes and they love their long, lofty prayers. And they loved words that were full of uh, flamboyance but empty of meaning. They loved to sound the bells when they would give alms in the temple. They were on the outside really great, but on the inside they were dead because their heart was not with God. Jesus called them a whitewashed tomb. Imagine that. You're going to Jerusalem if you've been there before and you have these marble tombs and they glisten in the sun of the Middle Eastern sun and they're beautiful on the outside. But in Jesus' day, if you opened up the tomb, what would you see? Dead, rotting corpses. Pharisees, they lacked authenticity. Their religion was about show, about the exterior and not the interior. Jesus cares about your heart. That second son, he said, yes, I'll go, but he honored with his lips, but not with his heart. Jesus, Jesus loves the worst prostitute in town and the biggest swindler in our county if they are willing to repent, turn their hearts to Jesus, and trust in him as Lord and Savior. So I got three quick take-homes and one warning for you, church, today. Jesus wants your heart, not your religion. Religion's great. I love Anglicanism. I love the outward and visible signs of everything that we do. Love our prayer book. Love our liturgy. Love our music. I love everything about it. But if it doesn't point to your heart and it doesn't change your heart, it's worthless. Jesus wants your heart. Secondly, Christianity is at its core and essence not a religion. Not a religion. It's about a relationship with a living Lord. Point number three, Jesus wants a people who will honor him with their lips, yes, but also with their lives. That was the disconnect for Pharisees. Yes, Lord, I'll go into your vineyard, and then they never did. So here's the word of warning. Jesus is preaching to churchgoers this morning, and you're here because you're a churchgoer this morning. Jesus is preaching to bishops and priests and deacons, to the vestry, to the lay leaders, to the folks who on the outside seem to have our acts together. Examine yourself this morning. Examine yourself I, as I examine myself. Are you full of pride and self-righteousness? Or do you cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? Secondly, what is St. Paul's Anglican Church? Are we a hotel for saints or a hospital for sinners. Would that prostitute, if she walked in here right now, be welcomed in our sight and receive a word of grace and love and mercy? By God's grace, she would. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.